Hello, hello, and welcome to the Business Handmade Podcast, the first episode in our new house. <laughs> first of all, like, I don't know where you came up with this hello, hello intro, but... <laughs> it's a nice hook. I think it I'm... puts me into the podcasting spirit. Does it? Is, yeah. it? is that your podcast voice? Yeah. Hello. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Do you come in and you, like, change your sweater and switch your shoes and sit down and... Daniel Tiger's there. and I just take my glasses off and then that's my podcasting personality. Oh, it's Kevin with glasses and Kevin without glasses. My name is Kevin. Kim is next to me harassing me. (laughs) And we just moved. So we're finally getting back in the swing of market space. Yes. And the podcast. And life. And existing. It's insane. Moving is nuts. And I've been telling everybody this week that it's almost like when you've had a kid somehow nature and your body trick you into wanting more kids because you forget you get this like amnesia of how difficult it really is to have a kid oh moving will be fine especially when it's only three blocks away oh yeah yeah, no big deal no big deal and then we rented a 26 foot truck and it still wasn't enough so then we got a 20 foot truck and And it still still wasn't wasn't enough so then we filled both of our cars and it still wasn't enough so then we had to call my dad to drive 45 minutes away to come pick up our patio furniture so we didn't leave it behind. Well, what about walking down the street three blocks with <laughs> our lawnmower and <laughs> the hammock stand. a hammock stand just rolling down <laughs> the street? Well, yeah, we so we moved across a main county road and two blocks up. So it's walking distance. It's like super, super close. But we waited until like midnight to walk some of the bigger stuff over so we wouldn't have to try to fit it in the truck. My dad still made like five trips over, but we were like, yeah, we'll just walk the lawnmower. We got to walk the dog anyway. (laughs) We'll just walk it over at midnight. So here we are. We got our Wi-Fi hooked up. We have been, you know, unpacking boxes and doing the thing. And yeah, we're just happy to be getting settled. So we're coming to you from our couch. Yeah, a much cozier podcasting studio. If you will. If you will. <laughs> Less of an echo, hopefully. Because this room is humongous. What was that? I was going to say enormous, but then I started with Hunormous. an H. Started with an H, and I was like, what word is that? <laughs> yeah, so we just um, ended uh, speaking with Jess of Instinct Jewelry Designs. Um, and we had a really good conversation about a lot of different things. Rebranding, product photography, online sales. We talked Ads, about the halo effect courses, a little bit. yeah. Courses on Facebook on how Ooh, to do social media. Teaser. A lot of stuff. So I we had it, a good it conversation. Kind of, it kind of even went in directions I wasn't expecting it to. Which is yeah. the cool part of doing a podcast. Like, you send the questions and it's so much better when it's not scripted. Yeah. And she said she was nervous, but I didn't. I couldn't tell she was nervous at all. She's just smart. And she's an a good OG market space uh, maker. So she's known us for a while. She's done a lot of in-person events with us. Um, but recently she's been focusing a lot on the website she created in her online business. So she has nothing to be nervous about. I know. We're old friends. Yeah. I mean, she has it all together. But people say that about us too. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You guys have it all together. Like, no, we don't. Yeah. So <laughs> pause the podcast. Pause the podcast right now. Go follow. Jess on Instagram. At Instinct Jewelry Designs. And then once you do that, I'll give you five seconds. And you can resume the podcast now. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you give us a little bit about who you are and what you do? 
Um, my name is Jess Dunbar. I'm the owner and maker at Instinct Jewelry Designs. I specialize in Viking and runic themed silversmithing jewelry. Um, so with each piece, you get a little secret and a little runic mystery behind uh, your jewelry. That's very cool. And I remember coming up to your table at one of the events and you have um, the meanings behind some of the runes, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, each, the word rune itself actually means mystery or secret. Oh, that's so, so each, cool. Yeah. Um, each rune, it's um, the Old Norse alphabet. But in addition to being a system of letters, they all have kind of a secret meaning similar to like tarot cards that can be used in divination or um, just kind of as talisman kind of magic purposes. That's so cool. How did you how did you learn about that? Is that something that you've always been interested in? Or I mean, maybe, I, we're, maybe we're delving into your family tree and your roots <laughs> and all, but how, how did you get into that? I read a lot of historical fiction um, mm -hmm. my entire life. And in college, I did some medieval reenactment and started taking classes and diving more into the history side versus the fiction mm -hmm. aspect. And it just really piqued my interest um, that there's this whole culture that, that has a system of letters that have these additional meanings. Um, mm -hmm. The divination aspect is, is kind of fun. Um, And the um, the Vikings, there's a whole resurgence of popularity into Viking culture. There's the Viking TV show. There's The Last Kingdom. There's all these stories out there in popular television and culture. Like there's the Marvel Thor Ragnarok. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there, there's a resurgence in interest in this. And I think I've been kind of riding that wave and, and diving deeper into things myself. So is there a rune or a meaning that you like the most or is your favorite when you're creating your pieces? So when I create the pieces, I actually chant the rune as like I'm stamping it or creating it, which if you believe in them, um, it kind of like activates the, the meaning behind the runes. Right. Um, wow, that's amazing. My favorite is actually the rune Burkano, which is the B rune, and it stands for birth or rebirth. And mm. it's actually very symbolic to me because a couple days before my daughter or on my daughter's due date, but a few days before she was born, the rune kind of came to me and said, turn me into jewelry. Wow. And it was my first runic piece I made that day. And that kickstarted the whole line of runic jewelry that uh, is now my entire business. It's so interesting because it's almost like a birth and, and branding. And um, when we first met you, you had a little bit, not a different focus per se, but it wasn't so um, deep into the Viking culture and Viking history. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Where were you, you know, even two years ago um, and what happened? What kind of directed you to, to have a change and almost a rebranding? So two years ago, um, 
when you guys met me, I had just about finished my silversmithing classes. And it was like a couple weeks. Um, I did a couple semesters. And what the teacher told us to do was find pieces we liked and try and replicate them. So I was just trying technique after technique. I, my style was kind of all over the map. And I was just really experimenting. But what I was finding when I would go to these shows is people would look at my table and it would be very scattered. It wasn't, I wasn't telling a story. No, no two pieces looked alike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think in the beginning that that really hurt me. And what I found was I couldn't explain the reasons behind the pieces I was making. So, um, I attended kind of a lecture on the Vikings and bought a book on um, jewelry from a Viking horde and actually started studying the techniques that the Vikings used to do and said, well, that's the old style of jewelry. And there's lots of people that replicate how the Vikings did it. But what if I take those same styles and aesthetic and bring it into today's world and like today's style of jewelry. Like not everybody is wearing like a two pound heavy silver torque. <laughs> yeah. Like so if you make like a small dangle that's using the same stamp that was on the Viking jewelry, but now it's something the modern woman can wear to work. And right. so that was kind of the direction I decided to head in and once i had a direction i got more excited you almost need that sometimes like it as much as we all have passion for what we do as small business owners sometimes it gets a little bit monotonous and you're kind of used to doing the same old same old day in and day out and so when you can really kind of hone in on the things that make you so excited about your business it, it reignites that for you I think there's also a disadvantage of having like a completely blank piece of paper and being like, I can sketch anything. Yeah. Um, but I think once you're like, well, I'm going to be inspired by Viking jewelry or I want to incorporate this rune. Like my past two collections, I've chosen two gemstones and two runes and the whole collection revolves around those things. And by focusing I almost become more free because then I can experiment within the boundaries I've kind of set for myself. Well, that's really interesting because you're saying, you know, you wanted to have a way to describe your lines to customers and and have it tell a story. So that's really grounding the pieces that you're making and giving people a way to understand it better. Yeah, exactly. Um, And like I have um, like I have feather pendants that I bring through the collections and I have like a shield, like a Viking shield pendant that I'm super proud of. Yeah, um, that I can switch out the stones. I can switch out the runes. I can do them custom, but it still goes back to like that overall story that I'm telling. It's so cool. And I've I've watched even your display evolve. And I, I just feel like. You look so proud of what you're doing when I see you behind your newly restyled booth. 
Um, you know, it, it's just so cool to have watched that growth for you. And now that you're focusing more on Viking runes and kind of branching out, I guess you're meeting other people that are also, you know, you said there was a resurgence. So, but not just from like the customer side, but probably also from like the vendors and maker standpoint, are you meeting a lot of people that also have this, uh, this product that they can then tailor to like people who are under or who are studying viking culture or are just really into it yeah like i'm always surprised um like especially with the customers like at shows people come up to me and are like oh i saw this on tv or i, I saw this somewhere where i just did a dna test and i'm part scandinavian and like they really connect with it because mm -hmm. i i feel like my story is finally genuine. Like mm -hmm. when I was just all over the map with my jewelry, I would be like, well, I thought the circle in the hexagon looked really cool. Um, and like, that's not yeah. a good story to tell. But mm -hmm. like, if I can say this is a falcon feather with the room for Freya who has a falcon on her shoulder, like your people are buying a piece of art and they want the art to tell them a story they want the experience because so much um selling online especially and even in person people are buying a lifestyle they're buying right more than just the item in their hand right and you know speaking of selling online you know when we met you you were signing up for a lot of in-person markets and i think it's so important as businesses evolve and as your vision evolves that you stay true to what makes sense for you. And so for you, you know, you and I are, we're friends and we talk often. Um, and you've said, you know, that maybe doing in-person markets isn't really for you. And I, I think there's, there's probably a couple of different factors there. One being that you just had your daughter not long ago. And, and so, you know, maybe like the family focus, but also you, that your business is kind of changing direction a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and maybe even though there is a resurgence in that Scandinavian in, uh, interest in Viking culture, maybe it's not as much here, but maybe it's, maybe it's worldwide. And maybe it's that you have to tap into a bigger demographic than you could get just here in New Jersey. So how has, your business model changed since you've kind of rebranded and changed your focus? Um, I sell a lot to international customers now, mm -hmm. cool. um, which I think is why um, the online market um, is really helping me. Cause like you said, at an in-person market, you're, you're isolated to that one town and maybe some people from surrounding towns, which, Hackettstown was always very good for me, but like I did a show all the way on East Jersey and nobody cared about the Vikings. Like, mm -hmm. and like people weren't even stopping at my booth. So I think sometimes an in-person show when you're concentrating on such a niche market, like what mm -hmm. I'm trying to reach, you need to really like finding an in-person market is becomes more challenging versus online on a, a platform. Like I mainly use Instagram. I can target that niche a lot more easily. Absolutely. And I think that the in-person markets at first kind of helped you um, have some of those experiences to then bring to the online platform. 
because then you kind of know what your focus is and how customers react in person. And that can translate a little bit to the online sales. And even for like paid ads and things too, once you've been in person and you've had that experience where, okay, Hackettstown area, you know, you have the demographic there where people want to support and are interested, but you know, anywhere East or toward New York, maybe they're not. So then when you then go back and sit behind your computer and you start thinking about paid ads and who you're targeting, it kind of helps. It almost like weeds out that area where you may not have known that otherwise you may have had to do a little trial and error with, but with money, you know, spending money digitally to figure out where, which areas were best to invest in. So it's kind of like, yeah, you still paid for the booth space. Ideally, hopefully you made at least your booth back, but then there was the lesson to take with you that, okay, I can put dollars into, into um, digital ads in Hackettstown, Hunterdon County, you know, and I don't, what is it about that demographic? You know, you don't necessarily know that if you were just sitting behind a computer, but if you're out face-to-face talking to these people, maybe it's that they do the Scandinavian festival in, uh, what is it, Vasa Park, I think every year. And um, maybe there's just a lot of people in that area that have, uh, you know, family history, people who have immigrated here. Um, you know, there's certain things that you would learn about a person personally by talking to them at a market that if you just did trial and error with the digital ads and said, oh, you know what, it's really expensive to to get an impression over here and I'm not getting as many sales when I invest in this versus doing it over in Hackettstown and you are seeing results, you don't really know more of the story behind that. Well, I think another advantage of the in-person markets is when you find like that perfect ideal customer and they love your items, even if they don't necessarily buy something that day, they, a lot of customers are like, oh, have you been to the Scandinavian festival? You should totally vend there. Or they can even provide other shows that they attend that they think you would do well at. And you got to take a grain of salt sometimes, but a lot of times they're like opening up new avenues for you. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And one of the things that we've been interested in and we're reading up on is something called the halo effect. Um, okay. And we don't have all the details right now. I think we're going to do a podcast episode on it, but it's just about how much uh, translation there is from having somebody buy, having something bought in person and then mm-hmm. translating that to online sales. Yeah. Um, okay. There's a big jump when somebody gets to see your product in person the first time, they're more likely to spend a certain amount of money online. Right. Like the average dollar amount that they then go and spend online is significantly more right. because they've met you in person. Within like the next 30 days or 60 days. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think some products also tend to do better in person, like with jewelry rings are really difficult to sell online because they all fit slightly differently half the customers don't know their ring size mm-hmm. so so like there's there's just some products that lean towards in person um mm-hmm. and online you have to be really careful about showing sizes of things as well because you don't want somebody who only wears small pieces to buy something thinking it was small and it turns out it's gigantic it's um, probably also hard to photograph jewelry. Yes. I mean, I know that. I actually, I, I know that from, from photographing jewelry, but, you know, just lending to that, that it is, it's, you know, it's also hard to sell it because it's hard to really photograph it, not only represent it, but to get good quality because some of the stones, the way they're reflecting in the light. 
Well, and everybody loves a white background, but mm-hmm. certain stones don't love white backgrounds. Right. They kind um, of wash out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and silver can wash out on white backgrounds or it can mm-hmm. look black. Um, so jewelry can be really finicky. I've taken to um actually I just got a white rabbit fur that I think uh mm-hmm. is gonna be my new background because cool. it doesn't it doesn't have the shine. Yeah. And it, it lends itself to the whole look you're going for. So I exactly. think it's really cool. I you know it's it's you so get fun more of a texture. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's and that's really smart to think about because I think when you're so focused on making your product, and this goes for me too, because you know, I've I'm I've been learning product photography, um, mm-hmm. but I don't have any sort of photography background other than what I've been doing um for our makers. But you know, your intuition says, you know, to use natural light and use a white background and all these things, but then you are in the moment and you're photographing and you're like, oh, that's actually, that looks terrible. Or, you know, like you were saying, like the silver is either washed out or you can see little, it looks like, it it almost looks like scratches on it, but it's just, that's the way it was created. And it, it just doesn't look beautiful the way it does in person. It just doesn't do it any justice. So right. it's cool to kind of get creative with um, texture. So then it's, it isn't washing out any of the stones or the metals, but it, you know, it's leaving the focus on the product, but also giving it kind of that depth. Well, and I think it also like for my website, I try and do those, those crisp, clean product photos, but for venues such as Instagram, people want more than just a white background. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the white background doesn't grab them as right. much as putting it on a book, throwing in some crystals, or I actually just got a set of rooms specifically to use for my photography. Um, so, like, photography takes a while. Um, yeah. you, like, I think a lot of people don't realize that behind a lot of these Instagram photos is a whole setup, a whole series of failed photos. Yeah, hours and then- of work. And like then, hanging from the ceiling, trying to take a picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, this isn't one of the questions that I sent you, but um, as you're kind of learning and, and transitioning away from doing the in-person stuff and you're moving more online, how are you learning about how to navigate the social media channels? And how do you, how do you stay on trend? How do you decide what a stylized shoot looks like that does capture someone who's buying the lifestyle. I feel like these are all things that it's for a beginner, somebody who is trying to decide if in-person is good for them or, or online, or maybe they just really need to start building up the online presence. Like, how do you know, how do you know where to start? What did you do? Was it all trial and error? So once you do one Instagram course, Facebook loves you and will just keep recommending Instagram <laughs> courses. <laughs> so I, I did one and now Facebook wants me to do them all. And um, I think, especially in the free ones, there's like one good kernel of information in each free class. And the one that I even did this morning said, just do it. Like there's so many people whose Instagrams are failing because they don't post the photo they think is just all right. So I think a lot of it is just 
dive in and post it. And if it wasn't that successful, make the next one better. Yeah. There's always time to put up another photo. That's the best thing about Instagram is you can constantly be creating content and not worry so much about if it's perfect. Sometimes good is good enough. Right. So I definitely it's, take it that. It is more about having the presence. And, and we're guilty of this where we just have so many other things that are going on that we don't maintain the presence like we should. And that's why well, they have really great apps like Buffer, you know, where you can schedule posts. But sometimes yeah, exactly. that itself, like it could take you a good hour to sit and schedule things in Buffer if you're doing it for the week. Yeah. And I, I have um, my Monday baby nap time <laughs> set up for um, to try and schedule the uh, the posts for the week and try and get them going. Because I, I learned in one of the courses is that you're you rank better in Instagram's algorithm if you're consistent Mm -hmm. even if that's one post every other day or once a week like whatever your level is you're able to maintain it if you keep consistent so like my goal for March is there's actually um like a hashtag March meet the maker and there's a prompt for every day in the month of March so that's my goal for March is to just try and post every day and see what that does to my following and my rankings. Yeah. That's a good point. And I love those like March or monthly challenges where you don't have to think so much about what do I post next? It's Mm -hmm. a little prescriptive, um, but it gives you that content to follow through with actually keeping up that social media presence. Exactly. Because I think sometimes you get stuck in a, a rut of I have to photograph the jewelry, but I haven't made anything new. Like, what do I photograph? How many times can I show the same thing? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when they give prompts, like the one is show your hands. I'm like, well, my hands are a little dirty right now. <laughs> but uh, but maybe but- that's cool. Maybe people want to see that you've been silversmithing all day. I mean, there's something to be said about that you know you really are the maker and that's something that we want to focus on this year like really showing the people making their product because yeah you could say you make it but it's kind of cool to see that that's like your battle scars you know yes quite a few battle scars (laughs) (laughs) so you talked a little bit about um taking the instagram course and and you know now you're targeted and you're getting and now that we're talking on our phones we're probably all going to be targeted for instagram (laughs) but um what other steps are you taking to build a solid online foundation aside from you know making sure that you're scheduling posts and and just kind of learning more through courses is there anything else that you could be doing um i did uh, my own website. And I think that that was a huge step for me um, because I felt that the market for on Etsy was very oversaturated in jewelry. Mm-hmm. And like, I still go on there sometimes to figure out, am I pricing my, my items reasonably? But when I go on there, it's saturated with people who are not authentically making their jewelry. Like I go on and I'm like, I can find this item on eBay or Mm -hmm. Alibaba and people are buying it really cheap and reselling it as handmade. And that really frustrated me with a lot of these larger markets because my product was getting buried because it was a higher price point 
than this person that's just reselling really cheap jewelry they didn't make. Um, so I branched out and did my own website and I now have full control. Everything is my brand. Everything's exactly how I want to, how I want it to look. And I am much happier, um, with the online presence, um, being completely in my control. Yeah, absolutely. It's so nice to have something that you've made yourself and just use Etsy kind of as a resource, right? You're, you're looking at it, you're seeing what's going on. Um, but you're not subject to all of the changes that they make. Um, we were on Etsy for four years before we started doing, um, the in-person events and we saw so many changes within that platform that people were getting really frustrated. So it's kind of nice that you don't have to be uh, in the mix there. You can do your own thing and change what you want when you want. I think the the final straw was I buy stones on Etsy and there's a couple um, shops that I consistently go to. But if I search for the stones on my app, the shop names don't pop up. And mm. that really killed me because I'm putting in all this effort to brand my items. And unless I put a watermark on every photo, it's not going to even show as me in a search. Right. So oh, at man. that point, I at that point, I I left and haven't looked back. It's it's so. <laughs> It's so crazy because, you know, I I think as the maker, people really, they want to believe that platforms out there have their best interest in mind. And it's, it's so hard to find the time when you are making your product to try to navigate all of that. It's like, it's such a vast unknown that you really just kind of want to trust that something's going to work really well for you. And, and the crazy thing is too, that you know, it may have worked in the past, like for us, when we had our shop, things were going really well, then mm-hmm. the algorithms changed and then, and then it wasn't as great. And it's like, that's kind of all beyond your control, but who has time to sit there and, and figure all of that out on top of making their products. So, you know, it is really important to not kind of put all of your eggs in one basket and <laughs> to think of the different options that are out there you know whether it's through etsy or other platforms i mean fair is something that's that seems pretty cool that i've looked a little bit into but that's more of like a like a wholesale type platform um you know or having a really great website that's built for you and but i i think i think that goes to even though like i'm saying i really want to stick to online i'm never going to cut out the in-person markets completely Mm -hmm. um because I think they still hold a lot of value. And like I had a customer buy a present for their mom at a show and the mom then bought matching earrings from me online. Oh, that's great. So, <laughs> so I, I think like, like you said, it's, it's a halo effect as well where the in-person is always going to help your online market as well. And it, it's just another avenue for exploration it's really so interesting and i wish that we had like this manual the you know the everything you need to know for all scenarios in business yeah there's no (laughs) one right answer i mean for 
every maker, you take a different path and you end up in a different spot and something will work for somebody that won't work with somebody else. But mm -hmm. I think that having your feelers out in the uh, online community as well as the in-person community doesn't hurt. You know, yeah. you, you get more of a broad perspective and you're reaching customers from different angles and there will be, you know, cross-pollination. Yeah. So mm -hmm. tell us what one of your coolest experiences has been at an in-person show. I think you've started doing some of these more like Scandinavian themed fests and stuff. So what, what's been the, like the coolest thing or um, funniest story that you have? I think it's just really watching people connect with my pieces. Um, I collect jewelry myself and I like buying pieces from artists who are doing something different. And it's really cool to be on the other end of that and see people who are coming up wearing really cool jewelry and knowing that they want to add one of my pieces to their collection. Um, like at Jersey Girl Brewery in November, um, there was a woman who just stood and we talked and we talked and she bought one of my feather pendants and she went home and she emailed me and she showed me a picture of her wearing it. <laughs> and it was just like all this really cool follow-up. And then after Christmas, she was like, I got Christmas money. I want the pair of earrings I couldn't afford in November. Like, so it was, it was just this really cool connection um, with, with someone I wouldn't have ordinarily met or necessarily even spoken to. Yeah. It made a big impact on that person. Yeah. I wonder if you could go and take like, cultural classes on Scandinavian history with some of these people like it feels like obviously they're interested in it because they either have descent their descendants or they have you know family ties or they're just really fascinated by the culture so I feel like that's that's a cool experience imagine where you're like ah we made friends because she bought a necklace and, <laughs> and here we are now, we, now we're taking a course I, I think it extends <laughs> beyond just the um like the ancestry aspect because the runes themselves have these elements of magic. Anyone that believes in that little extra spark, like one of the runes um, is for wealth or there, there's a rune for strength. And just, if you believe in that, it can just like add a little spark to your day. Um, right. Like, I watched a brother buy a pendant that was a, a bind rune, which is a combination of multiple runes into a complex shape. And it, it stood for love. And he bought this for his little sister. And that meant a lot. And like, I don't know their ancestry. They didn't talk about their ancestry. They just loved that this pendant stood for love and was in her birthstone. And they just really connected to the piece and the, and the story it was telling. I think that's so cool. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people who we're in, a, we are a generation of people and are in a time where we don't, we do a lot more research and we don't kind of take things at face value. So whether that's medicine or our health or the way we're changing the way we're living for more sustainable and eco-friendly practices, 
Um, I think that goes hand in hand with the different types of holistic medicine that people are getting into. Um, people are getting more into herbalism. Um, there, you know, pagan witchcraft is, is kind of trendy now. And I don't know that it's, everybody's running out to quickly be a witch. I think people are really fascinated in this ability to have almost like an apothecary and be able to make things yourself for your family that you know what's going into it. Like we've kind of been blindly consuming things since we were, I mean, I was born in the eighties, but like our, you know, our parents would, um, we would eat like TV dinners. We eat like garbage, you know? And I think that as we get smarter and we realize that we can change the way we're living people, there's like trends to, to do that. And so when you start getting into herbs, then you start thinking about energy and you think, of, of like crystals and and that goes in with the that ties in with the runes and everything i think people are looking and saying wow i really have this power within me to make change and to be change so it's it's really interesting that all of that stuff is kind of becoming really popular because of that and then i also think that what you do with the runes it, it gives it almost in some ways a little bit of a masculine spin where like kevin probably wouldn't wear like a copper wrapped amethyst or something, you know something <laughs> like that but maybe if it was in a rune it would be you know it'd be different like maybe he'd be more inclined and I think that it, I, I keep getting asked to make men's jewelry yeah and I feel like they I feel like yeah. it would probably be really popular because who doesn't want to feel that power within themselves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I think that all of this like you know crystals and and herbalism and all of that and and um what am I thinking of? Like aromatherapy, all of that is so like, like esoteric. It's yeah, it's, it makes every, and I just think that like guys could definitely take a part of this too. There's a know? lot more it's curiosity. Like, I feel in today's age with people wanting to know what's going on in these areas. Yeah. And mm -hmm. You can totally draw people in by telling them about like what the rune means or yeah. how it was made or the classes that you've taken. I think people are more, um, interested and curious about those things and I, I feel like it would grab them it just it blows my mind how like entertainment changes I sound like a total nut job right now probably but like the way we are entertained the way we get information and the fact that things are are so available to us that we can google anything and we can learn how to do things and how to incorporate things into our our lifestyle I mean if I was at a show and I saw your jewelry with runes and wouldn't know anything about it i'm the type of person to go home and just sit there and like for hours fall down this rabbit hole of like googling what everything means and, and trying to learn so much about it it's just so cool that so i think in a time like that you know i think that kind of ties back into the the rebranding and some things that work and some things that don't is i created a postcard that has the meaning of all the the runes and I thought this was just going to be like something I handed to people when they bought the piece mm -hmm. and it's actually become my most popular uh takeaway and I didn't initially have I had the back of it it was kind of almost a throwaway space for me and mm -hmm. now I'm revamping the card to actually have all my business card it's going to become my business card that's awesome postcard size so I think the business is always evolving and and that's something you learn at a craft show of everyone's taking this card high schoolers are always taking those cards and they're like oh I can spell my name in this and like it's it's sparking an interest and mm -hmm. for me that's really cool too is if 
somebody maybe can't afford the big piece, but they take the postcard and they're excited about this. And maybe they turn on the TV and they, they watch an episode of Vikings or any of the plethora of shows out there. And it just opens up a new avenue for, for them and that I can be the catalyst for that is, is pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. And we're talking to you a lot about like rebranding and how do you know when and how to do it. But also, like you're saying, it happens organically, right? You wouldn't have known that if it didn't just happen mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to be open to looking for that change. It's, yeah, it's almost like organic guidance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any other advice that you can give makers who are, you know, maybe not sure about their branding or they have an idea, but they really need direction? Figure out your target audience. Um, One of the exercises I did was I wrote a paragraph of like, who am I as if I was one of my customers? And I'm like, I am a woman that believes I am a 30 something year old woman that believes in magic. um, And I have a career and like, and I just like detailed out the lifestyle that I was aiming at. And I think something like a quick exercise like that just helps you know who you're looking at because you can't target everyone. And I think, I think that that almost has to be a fluid conversation. Like just last night, um, my husband and I were reevaluating and he's like, your Instagram has been steering too much in this direction. It's not working. Maybe try this avenue. So I think rebranding, like buying all the the cards and the tablecloths and all that stuff from Vistaprint doesn't happen as often because that's the financial investment. Mm-hmm. But the, the actual rebranding of what your online presence looks like or your displays look like, um, that is more target audience driven and that needs to stay fluid. Yeah, because you can, not that you'd want to go back and like delete posts or anything, but I think it does have the ability to change and that, and it's, it can all be experimental, you know, look back and see maybe, and you can see a post that did really well that you got like hundreds of likes on and engagement was good and you know, whatever, you can always go back and reference that and kind of recreate something more in line with that or even repost mm-hmm. that. You know, if you are out of content or something for the week and you're like, man, I, and I really should practice what I preach because I haven't <laughs> been doing that. But you can go back and see the things that do really well. It's like the metrics are there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not just making it up. You're not taking a wild guess. After you've been doing it for long enough, you can see what is working and what's not working and and you can really change the way you've been posting the thing the type of things you've been posting and when you've been posting to mimic what was really going well for you or you know what has proven itself basically I think finding a role model um like on Instagram I follow a lot of other jewelry artists but there's a couple that are also in my target market um and I just see what they're doing and I have actual active communication with them through Instagram and we share tips and ideas and 
um, the silversmithing community in general is huge on Instagram and everyone's sharing tips and following each other. So I think sometimes you shouldn't just focus on your customer, but focus on other makers as well as being a resource. Yeah. I think that's so important and it's something that a lot of people overlook, but being a resource you know, putting yourself out there to help others just brings that back for you tenfold. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's being part of a community. It's a bigger picture. And there is no sense in recreating the wheel. Like there are other people who are doing what you're doing, you know, maybe not the same style or, you know, not to say that anyone's copying someone else, but right. there are people who have experiences. And most of the time people are willing to share that. And I think that that in itself is really so important for small business. Yeah, like I I did my first collection launch in December and I messaged someone who had a lot more followers than me who does collections all the time. And she actually gave me advice on um, how to actually set it up and, and try and be successful with it. Um, cool. And that was that was really useful. That's great. So we're talking a lot about your Instagram and a lot about your website. Where can people find you? InstinctJewelryDesigns.com or the Instinct Jewelry Designs on Instagram. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Business Handmade Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at MarketSpace Vendor Events or on our website, marketspacevendorevents.com.